King David was on the run here in Psalm 3. His kingdom had been taken away from him. Absalom, his son, had rebelled against him, had staged a coup. And David was being deposed. He was being run out of power. He was being kicked out of power. He was being run out of his own kingdom. Now, if you study out the Old Testament, you'll see that a lot of what happened to David was his own doing. A lot of this ties back to his sin with Bathsheba, his adultery with her, his murder of her husband Uriah. But even in David's case, he suffered a lot that was not self-inflicted. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. Some of the problems that you endure are self-inflicted. Some of the problems I endure are self-inflicted. A lot of the problems we endure are not self-inflicted, but we have problems. And so here in Psalm 3, you've got King David fleeing from Absalom. And as he flees, his situation goes from bad to worse. He's lost his good reputation in the kingdom. He has lost the military. His own military is hunting him down now. He has lost most of his friends. As you read the Psalms that David wrote during this time of his life, there's a lot of mentions he makes about those who turn away from him and those close friends who are no longer his close friends. He is being betrayed here. People are turning their backs on him. He's lost his kingdom. He's lost his home. He's lost his family. His son is trying to kill him. He's lost everything. It just keeps going from bad to worse. You ever have one of those lifetimes? I'm having one of those days. I'm having one of those weeks. I'm having one of those months. I'm having one of those lives. Where you think, okay, <laughs> It can't get worse than this. And then it does. Well, that wasn't a challenge. But it keeps getting worse. David is heading into the wilderness. The wilderness is where you go to starve. Because in the wilderness, there are no food sources. Water is in short supply. There is not a Taco Bell out there where you can get a 59-cent bean burrito. All right? You are headed in hopelessness. They don't have a Motel 6 out there in the wilderness. David finds himself sleeping in caves. It's a hopeless situation. It's going from bad to worse. And how could it ever possibly get any better? You ever have yourself painted into a corner? How, could it get, how, how can I get out of this? I can't get out of this. There is no escape from this. I'm trapped. It's, this is how it ends. It's despair. It's hopelessness. That's where David is. Yet in this place of hopelessness and despair and discouragement, David pins his continued faith in the Lord. Though his situation is hopeless, though everyone turned against him, he still trusts in the Lord because God is salvation. Jesus, that name above all names, is the English transliteration of the Greek name Jesus, which is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua, that we would say Joshua, which name literally means the Lord is salvation. And that's why Mary was told to name her son Jesus, because he shall save the people from their sins. David knows that God 
is salvation. So no matter how bad things get, David still trusts in God because God is salvation. And as long as God has not turned against David, David knows he's going to be okay. He continues to trust in God. As we read Psalm 3.5, Psalm 3.5 again saying, I laid me down and slept. I await for the Lord sustained me. There are three applications for this. There's the physical application. This does have meaning in your life today in the tangible of the here and now and what you see and hear and feel. There is a physical application to this. There is a spiritual application to this. There is a deeper meaning that should give our souls comfort. And there is a future application for this. And we'll talk about that as well. Let's talk about the physical application. Perhaps you felt like David. Maybe you feel like David this morning. Maybe the fact you're here is a miracle. Because you really didn't want to come in this morning. And it's not that you don't like God. It's not that you don't like church. It's not that you don't like us. You just don't have the energy to do it because of the week that you have just had. And... We have this tendency at church, we know we shouldn't do this, but we do this. We put that smile on our face and, oh, I'm blessed, brother, I'm blessed. Now, inside you are falling apart, you are hurt. There is this black hole inside of you of grief and of heartache and of fear. But, you know, and even though LifePoint is a safe church, you can express those things here. Our human nature says, don't do it. So maybe the fact you're here is a miracle. Maybe you know what David feels like. Everything is falling apart. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And at the last moment, and at the worst moment, you come across a a slight period of unemployment. And the transmission on the car goes out. My transmission's fine. I'm just giving examples. All right. You are having a health problem, and another problem shows up. All these problems compound. Your problems pile up. The bills pile up. The wolf is at the door. Your friends turn their backs on you because, and this is why we don't feel comfortable sharing our griefs and our burdens with each other because, you know, as, as we say in Southern culture, nobody wants to hear about that. I had a grandmother when I was a little kid, and I'd scrape my knee and cry. She would throw me a pillow and say, bury your face in this. Nobody wants to see that. (laughs) She was a very loving woman. But, you know, and so your friends start to turn their back on you. Maybe your friends are like Job's friends. They're telling you that you must have sinned or done something against God to have this happen. And, you know, that's not the case. Maybe your friends are part of the problem. Maybe, you know, your friends are turning their back on you. And others turn against you. and, And people start judging you. And there's no path forward. At least every scenario you've played out in your mind, there is no happy ending to any of this. And God hasn't shown up yet. You go to church and the preacher preaches about deliverance, and you're like, yeah, I kind of wish God would do some of that. In fact, people are looking at your situation and they're mocking you. They're saying, God hasn't helped you, has he? That's what King, uh, King David wrote about. When he said that they say in verse 2, there is no help for him in God. His enemies are saying not even God's on his side anymore. God's not even going to help him out here. They challenge your faith saying God is not helping you. You know, atheists love to point that out. 
They love to find that one Christian who is a faithful Christian who still died of cancer and say, God didn't help him. I think about the widow, the Christian widow. As she was living in poverty, abject poverty, she had nothing. She needed food. She was starving. She would go out on her front porch every morning and pray, God, please provide for me. Please provide food for me and my children. And her atheist across the street said, you fool woman, God's not going to give you food. She says, you be quiet. My God will hear my prayers and deliver. The atheist said, I'm going to show her. And so the atheist goes out and buys a week's worth of groceries and places it on her front porch. That morning she walks out to pray to the Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord. You provided. You've given me food. You have given me groceries. I can feed my kids. The atheist goes, oh, you fool woman. God didn't provide that for you. I bought you those groceries. And the woman says, thank you, Lord. Not only have you provided the food that my family needs, but you use the fool's money to pay for it. <laughs> but a lot of us feel like that widow. We're crying out to God to help us, to prepare, to prepare us, to provide for us. And the others are saying, it ain't going to work. You've got to do it yourself. And our scriptures tell us that when we try to live in our own power, that's when we fail. And that's where David is. He's in that in, in the middle stage right there where the pressure is coming from all sides. But in his distress, David still trusted God. Yes. In verses 3 and 4, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Mm -hmm. Everything is stacked against David. If you put it down on paper... There's no way that David survives. You run the numbers on this, the numbers don't add up. David's toast. There's a minute left in the game, and the other team is up by 48. There's no way this, this, this works out. Yet David had God, and that's all he needed. And he knew that God could take care of him against all odds, and he trusted God to do that. For God made promises to David. God had promised David that his kingdom would be forever, that his seed would inherit his kingdom. He made promises to David about the coming Messiah. And so as David trusts God, he calls out to the Lord, and he knows that the Lord heard him. He, in verse 5, laid me down and slept. Now I waked for the Lord to sustain me. David laid down and slept, he was able to sleep because he trusted the Lord. Yes. When's the last time you were able to set your burdens aside and lay down and sleep and rest, knowing that it was all in God's hands? And when David woke up the next morning, his trust was validated. His trust was verified. God showed that he came through for him. Yes. And like David... You can trust the Lord to sustain you. Even if everything is stacked against you, you can trust God. Even if everyone has told you that hope is impossible, trust God. Our problem is we rob ourselves of a lot of peace because we continue the struggle. Yeah. We continue the struggle. And if it's, up to, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we struggle and we fight and we, we battle and we war and we plead and we pull and we push and we do everything we can. 
But David had the faith to lay down and sleep. Yes. And you ought to lay down and sleep. Amen. You all know the verse. That unless the Lord builds the house, mm -hmm. the builders labor in vain. That's right. The Bible also tells us that it is vain to rise in the morning, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. Yes. I read an article about Jack Ma. He is the founder and CEO of Alibaba, which is it's described as the Chinese version of Amazon, but it's different. And he put forth his 996 plan. I don't, I don't know what all the numbers are for, but basically he says to be successful, you have to work nine hours a day, six days a week. That's not right. I've got something wrong there. Oh, 996. It's, a, it's 12 hours a day, six days a week. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., Six days a week. To be successful, that's what you've got to do. In Jack Ma's world, you've got to rise up early, although 9 o'clock is not early for most of us. But you've got to rise up early, you've got to sit up late, and you've got to eat the bread of sorrows in order to succeed. And other business leaders have said the same thing. Mark Cuban talks about how many hours, how much you've got to be willing to sacrifice yourself if you're going to make it in the business world. Mark Cuban talks about that. Um, there's been a number of business leaders that are like, listen, you've got to fully devote yourself to the work and you've got to go all in at the expense of your social life, at the expense of your family, at the expense of your health. The Bible says, the Bible says it is vain, empty, pointless to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. So quit struggling. You're dealing with problems. Call out to the Lord. He will hear you from his holy hill. Lay yourself down. Sleep. Rest. You will awaken. And the Lord will sustain you. That's the physical, practical application of this verse. But there is a spiritual application to this verse as well. And to put context on this, let's look down to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Many people, they struggle in their lives. They are disturbed in their lives. Their souls are in turmoil in their lives. They can't make peace in their lives. Why not? Their souls are in turmoil because they are fighting sin and temptation. On their own power. That's right. They struggle for salvation. They struggle to live up to God's standard. They struggle to meet the Christian standard. To be the good, happy church folk we all know that we're supposed to be. People do this. But the Bible teaches that there is nothing that we can do in order to earn our salvation. Nothing. In order to earn our salvation... The situation is impossible. Jesus told his disciples, unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees, 
These dudes are all about the moral life, the clean life, the good life, the don't make a mistake, don't say the wrong things, don't commit a sin. They did it. But they convinced themselves that they didn't do it. They convinced themselves that they never sinned. They convinced themselves they were without sin. They convinced themselves that they lived to a higher standard than everybody else. These are the guys that would pour their mustard seed on the table and to make sure they got a perfect tithe, they would count them out, counting out every tenth one for their tithe, all right? I mean, these dudes don't lift anything heavier than an olive on the Sabbath day, you know? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That's healing on the Sabbath. That's work. You can't do that. I mean, they were so in their heads about living this pure, righteous life. And they made the kingdom for many people unattainable because they taught that that's how he got into the kingdom. And there were so many people in Israel that knew that they couldn't live up to that standard. They gave up. We know them in scripture as the sinners and the publicans. You may have met somebody like this. Somebody who tells you, well, I know I'm going to go to hell. I might as well enjoy what little time I've got left and enjoy the ride. And that's where the sinners and the publicans were. Why? Because that's what the Pharisees told them. And Jesus comes along and says, except your righteousness exceed the, that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. And you say, how on earth can that even be done? Well, if you're looking at the works, if you're looking at the actions, if you're looking at the lifestyle, that's pretty impossible. But Jesus, what he was telling his disciples is that their righteousness would exceed that of the Pharisees because Christ would give them that righteousness. Mm -hmm. We can't earn our own salvation. We can't create our own righteousness because the Bible tells us that even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The, the apostle Paul told us in Romans chapter 7 that even when he wants to do good, evil is present within him. Are we more spiritual than the Apostle Paul? I can tell you that I'm not. Working for salvation, earning your salvation, living up to a level that satisfies God's demand for perfection is impossible. You can't do it. So we cry out to the Lord. We cry out for grace. We cry out for forgiveness. And he hears us from his holy hill. If you're here, which you are, and this has been your struggle. You've been trying to straighten it out. You've been trying to clean your life up. You have been trying to live this perfect, righteous life, and you can't get there. You are frustrated as a result. Surrender to the Lord. Turn to him. He will save you. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Not only does the Lord save, but he sustains our salvation. You know, you go to church and the preacher preaches this great message. I hope someday y'all are able to hear one of those preachers. <laughs> And he preaches this great message and it moves you and the spirit moves within you and you go down that aisle during an invitation. You make a profession of faith. The church votes to baptize you. You're baptized. You're a member of the church and you are on fire for the Lord. Isn't that feeling coming out of those baptismal waters simply amazing? Amen. You know, um, I think of 
I think of the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou where Delbert got baptized and he's coming out of the river. He's like, I, my sins have been washed away, including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked off in Yazoo. That has been washed away, you know, and he's a new man and he's excited. And I could identify with, I never knocked off a Piggly Wiggly in Yazoo, <laughs> but I could identify with his feeling of liberation, yeah. you see. Yeah. You feel like that. Mm-hmm. And you're on fire for the Lord yeah. for about a week. And then life kind of goes back to normal, don't it? And then before you know it, you've gotten involved in sin again. You've stumbled. You've fallen. That's being human. That's our weakness. That's our frailty. That's Mm -hmm. what we do. But now that feeling that you had right after you came out of those baptismal waters, that's not there no more. Maybe I lost my salvation. Maybe I need to get it back. That's not true. See, if it was just like we cannot work ourselves into salvation, we cannot stay on the straight and narrow. Now, if you remember, oh, Brother Poor Arthur, that's the one thing that Delbert said wrong. He came out of the water. It's a straight and narrow from me on out. He couldn't even keep it up. I mean, at the end of the day, he was still an escaped convict on the run from the law, right? We can't stay on the straight and narrow. We can't. We stumble, we fall, we fail God. We don't do what God calls us to do and we do the things that God told us not to do. David was incapable of sustaining his own life. He was incapable of keeping his own kingdom. And just as David was incapable of sustaining his life and his kingdom, we are incapable of sustaining our own salvation. It's the Lord that sustains us. Mm -hmm. It's the Lord that keeps us saved and praise God for it. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that he is able to save those to the utmost who come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for us. See, when Christ hung on that cross, he took the wrath of God upon himself, shielding us from God's wrath. That took his life. He laid down his life. He gave his life for that cause. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he rose to be at the right hand of the throne of God. And what's he doing at the right hand of God? Is he sitting there going, whew, glad that's over. No, he's still shielding us from the wrath of God. His work is not over. The temptations for us are too strong and too numerous, especially in today's society. You know, you used to be able to get out into the woods or out into the yard or out into the pasture and get away from everything. But now we've got these little devices we stick in our pockets that give us these little noises. Ding, look at me. And you look at it, and a lot of times there's a temptation on that device, isn't there? And, you know, it may be a political story that just, ding, look at me. And then that political story gets to appealing to your base, human, sinful nature. And you begin, I can't read politics anymore. I get angry. I can't do it. I have to, I mean, I have like, I keep trying to unsubscribe from these things, but they keep showing up in my news feed, and I don't want to look at this, all right? I want to look at kittens. I want to think about the Texas Rangers, because even when I get mad about the Texas Rangers, it doesn't affect my soul. I'm, I'm not bothered by my soul. I'm like, really should have done something, but, but you know, but that's, that, that's playtime. Yeah. But no, either Trump or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence, <laughs> or bar or whoever somebody's going to ruin the world today that's what they want you to believe they want you that the, the, the devil wants you in that place we've got so many temptations yeah. that are drawing us away 
They're strong. They're numerous. Our flesh is weak. Praise be to God that the Lord sustains us. So you can rest in the Lord's peace. If you know Christ is your Savior, no matter what happens, God has you. All right? If Bernie Sanders gets elected president in 2020, and immediately we become the Soviet Union of the 1950s, God still got you. All right? If the stormtroopers march in here and say, we're not letting y'all use this for a church anymore, the community needs a basketball court. Actually happened in the Soviet Union. Um, God still got us. They take all the money out of your bank account now. Some of us, that's not a big loss. Some of us, that's a bigger loss. But God takes it all away. That's okay. God. But, you know, it gets all taken away. It disappears. God still has you. You are his child. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you are his child. He holds you in the palm of your hand. And everything that happens to you in this world is all superficial. He holds you. And just like he holds you physically, he holds you spiritually. You will fail, yes. You will mess up, yes. Your heart will be wrong sometimes, yes. My heart is wrong a lot of times, yes. God holds us. He loves us. He sustains us. So lay you down and sleep. Rest in his goodness and he will sustain your salvation. Be at peace with him and know that he loves you. Then there's the future application. Verse 5 again. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. Laid me down and slept. Y'all know in scripture, sleeping is euphemism for dying. The Apostle Paul wrote about those. I would not have you to be ignorant about those who are asleep in Christ. He wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we may not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Yes. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily the intent that David, uh, it wasn't the intent, David didn't say I died and came back to life. But the day is going to come when you're going to go to sleep. Uh-huh. One last time. Yeah. One day we will lay down and sleep and there will be one last time on this earth, unless you're still here when Jesus comes back, there will be one last time on this earth that you will close your eyes. Closing your eyes one last time, and this life will be over. But that's not the end. No. We will awaken in the Lord's presence, as the Bible tells us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will awaken in the Lord's presence. We will awaken to eternal life because God will raise us up. Amen. We lay down. We slept, but we awaked, for the Lord sustains us. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have eternity to look forward to. Because the Lord will sustain you. And all of this is possible because 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ laid down his life. He didn't have it taken from him. He laid it down. The Bible tells us that, it only, that he died on that cross after only a few hours on that cross. The soldiers were amazed. Crucifixion was not supposed to kill you that quickly. How is it that he's already dead? Because he laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. 
It didn't drain out of him. He handed it over. Amen. He surrendered it yes. for our salvation. Yes. He willed himself into the Father's presence. He said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Amen. Christ laid down his life. He laid him down and he slept. He was dead. He was buried. But then on the third day, he awaked. He awoke. Because the Lord sustained him. The Bible tells us that God raised him up. That he was resurrected. Romans chapter 10. That thou shalt believe in thine heart the Lord Jesus. I have misquoted the verse already. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God raised him from the grave. He lay down, he slept, he awoke, for the Lord sustained him. See, what we learn from Psalm 3 is that no matter how bad things are, God still has us. I'm reading survey data that tells us that Americans are more unhappy than we have ever been unhappy. And there have been some times that we've had some things to be unhappy about in the history of this country. But for some reason, we're getting angrier by the day. Now, you didn't need the survey to tell you that. You can just talk to people. You can just read what they post on social media. People are getting angrier and getting angrier. We're in a time of unparalleled prosperity in the history of the world. And we are so angry and unhappy. We get, there's a lot to be said for that. Mm-hmm. But prosperity aside, the society you live in aside, the good things we have in life aside, you're probably facing some pretty difficult battles right now. <laughs> Psalm 3 tells us that even when we're facing those difficult situations, and those hopeless situations, that God still holds us in the palm of his hand. Yes. Yes. You can rest. You can wake up. Because God has sustained you. Will you trust him?